This morning I want you to turn in your Bibles to the first book, the Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Three years ago when we went to Haiti and uh, we rode out of Port-au-Prince into the area known as Laogon. We pulled into this city and uh, I realized uh, I wasn't in Kansas anymore, as the old movie would say. Uh, I'd been in Ukraine, I'd been in Jamaica, I'd been in Honduras. I'd never experienced anything like I experienced there in Haiti. And as we pulled into that city, which is a pretty good sized city, and we went to the mission house. And as we got to the mission house, there was this huge guy that had security on his shirt. Now they can't have guns, so he had a nightstick, and that's all he had. And it was masonry walls all the way around with like barbed wire around the top, and there was a solid metal gate that had another like opening in it. And they would open it and let us come and go. But that security guard would stand out there around the clock. They would have someone there at all times. And one of the first things we do is we come in, we unload, we come down uh, into the kitchen area and we have a kind of orientation meeting. And they said, you know, you're going to be tired when you get back. Uh, you're probably not going to want to go out, but you need not think about going out, especially once the sun sets. And there was a, one time during the day that there was a group went out, but several of the uh, Haitian missionaries and translators went with them. But they said, listen, this is our safe zone right here, not here in a couple more houses, inside this boundary. They said, so don't wonder out. We can't do anything if you get out there. And it was only a couple of days later, we're coming back from a church service or uh, doing something, uh, a Bible school at a church. And we ride in the backs of these little trucks. And I look, and about two cars back is a line of white UN peacekeeping Hummers with 50 cal guns on top of them. I said, yeah. This is for real. They're, they're telling me the truth when they said, you need to stay right here to be safe. You know, it's like that when you're a child or whether you're the parent. You've taken your kids into a large area, such as a, a Braves game or into a mall or something. You say, you stay with me, whatever. And you try to hold on to them and you, know, and you say, don't wander off, don't wander off, don't wander off. And some of you have experienced that absolute fright of not being able to put your eyes on your child. And some of you as a child experienced the same things of thinking you couldn't find your parent. Too often in our Christian lives, we have ventured outside the safety zone of the presence of the Lord. We have chose our own way. Children, no, I do it. I do it. I want to do it, Mama. Don't, don't, don't do it. I want to do it. I can do it. And there's a certain part of that is good, but they need to understand 
that they're still under authority. And there's much we can do as we grow in the faith, but there's nothing we can do outside the presence of the Lord. In verse 16, and we'll read the whole story, but we see the danger of leaving the Lord's presence. You know the story of Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were God's creation, and Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God through the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. They chose to disobey God. And because of that, they were ejected. They were evicted, dispossessed from the perfect paradise of Eden. So now they've had children, and they have these two boys. If you have, you have multiple children, you'll understand the fights that may go on. Thank God that maybe they haven't come to this. He said in verse 6, So the Lord said to Cain, because they had brought their offering, God said, it's time to bring an offering. And Abel brought his offering of sheep, and Cain brought his offering of the fruit of the ground. So the Lord said in verse 6 to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Because God respected Abel's offering and not Cain's. God said, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lieth at the door. And its desire is for you. Much like God told Peter that Satan sought to have him, that he may sift him as wheat. He said, sin seeks you, that it desires you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. This is not figurative. This is not symbolic. It really happened. He killed his own brother. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive, a fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it, shall, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Now, would you all agree with me that his life has just been ruined? He has wrecked any view of a prosperous future in anything that he does. He literally has a living death sentence. He has been sentenced to life without parole outside the walls of the prison. 
the world had become his prison. And so he said in verse 16, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. You see, the presence, we, we've got to understand what we're missing when we leave the presence of the Lord by first understanding what it's like and what it means to exist and to rest in the presence of the Lord. First of all, it's a place, a place of salvation for the lost. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. All through Scripture, the Bible says, Seek me while I may be found. In many different ways, many times throughout Scripture, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for the lostness that is absent from the presence of God. The lostness. I'm going to tell you what the world needs. More than the election to go a certain way, more than more police, more than the lack of rights or the lack of a pandemic. I'm going to tell you what the world needs. The world needs Jesus. Your family needs Jesus. Your co-workers needs Jesus. And who's going to tell them? When Matt mentioned that this morning and as we sang, open the eyes of my heart. It overwhelmed me and all I could see where we used to live in Alabama is we could look out behind the church when they had defoliated the cotton and it looked like fields of snow as far as you could see. Thousands of acres just rolling in cotton. And I always go there, my mind goes there when Jesus said, as I preached last week, that the fields are white unto harvest. The lostness of the world is as real as it's ever been. The numbers are higher than ever been. Your family, your friends, your enemies need Jesus. And they must be ushered into the presence of the Lord. Amos said, the end has come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. We must rest in the presence of the Lord. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. But then it's the place of blessing for the saved. Too often as believers we are saved and we live for the Lord and we're excited and we want to be at church and somewhere along the way we buy into the lives of Satan and we start looking for reasons not to be at church. We start looking for reasons not to be at worship. We start giving excuses why we don't need to go or we don't have to go. Once again, as the old preacher said, you don't got to go, you get to go. You ain't got to sing in church. Throw a fit, music's not the way I want it, it's not this, it's not that. Hey, you ain't got to, you get to. You get to, there are preachers, there are pastors, there are church members who are standing, they're standing at the precipice of threats by their government today 
And they said, we will choose Jesus. For truly victory is in him. John 15, 4 says, remain in me. Jesus said, remain in me, I remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. We get that, right? And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I'm going to tell you how real that is. So we know Jesus said that as a picture of the church and Christ in John. But let's look all the way back to the Old Testament. Do y'all remember the Ark of the Covenant? Y'all remember the Ark of the Covenant, right? And it was toted around the wilderness in the, in the tabernacle and then placed in the temple. And there was a few things that went in it. First of all, the second tablets of the Ten Commandments. Not 11 through 20, but 1 through 10 reproduced by the Lord because Moses threw them down the first time in anger. They went in there and then there was a bowl of something. You remember what it was? Bowl of manna. Now, I can remember growing up that after biscuits were made, and usually if it was for supper or something, they would be some fatback or strickling if you're from the city. We called it fatback, and they'd cook some of that along the way. And uh, maybe a piece or two of bacon, it usually didn't hang around very long. But there would be a few biscuits and something, and you didn't, you didn't seal it up in a Ziploc bag, and you didn't put all the other stuff on it. You just simply put it on a plate. My mother would put it on a plate. When my job put it on a plate, it was my job to take it off the plate. And she would put those biscuits, put some fat back or something, and then take just a paper towel or maybe a, like a, 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 what would look like a soft dishcloth and just lay it over it and lay it on the stove. And during the day, you, it didn't make it to dark usually. But it would be, y'all, anybody remember that? With great pleasantness, you remember that? Well, I want you to understand that manna, just like that. Imagine if those, those biscuits, and I don't know about you, I picked them up a day or two later. If they did last, didn't bother me. They were cooked. I, I, day or two later, I'd still eat it. I just would. I'm just not going to be scared of all that other stuff. But the truth is, I'm not going to eat it a week later. You start looking around the edges, don't you? You know when a loaf of bread stays too long. One thing I'm not going to do, because milk don't smell. I like to drink milk. I don't drink milk. I put it on cereal. But I don't even like the smell of milk. I think it smells spoiled when it's not spoiled. So I can't beg you to smell it. But women will hold up a baby and smell their diaper. I never understood that either. But you can... You can tell when that, when that milk turns. You can look at the bread and you'll see mold start and you just throw it away. Think about this. God is so fruitful that when he orders something, that manna never molded. That bread stayed fresh. But here's what's really cool. There was a rod. Y'all remember this rod? Whose rod was it? Huh? Aaron, Aaron's rod. Now, what's a rod? It's like a walking stick, right? This walking stick's cut off from the tree. It may have been a fancy 
rod. I don't know. Or it may have still just been just like it was chopped off the tree. But he showed him and it budded. Remember? And what kind of tree was it? Almond. Because even when it budded, almonds come out on it. God gave fruit from a severed limb. But here's the thing. It was never severed from God's power and presence. Y'all get that? And as long as it remained there, that rod, and he always says, the rod that budded. Well, I'm going to tell you, no matter where you go in this world, no matter what you face, if you reside in the presence of the Lord, there's going to be blessing. Amen? Jude exhorts us in verse 21, keep yourselves safe in the love of God. Now, while we agree that a truly saved person does not have to ask God to refrain from removing His Holy Spirit, we've been sealed. He's not going to remove it. You can't be lost again if you're saved. You cannot do anything to cause yourself to be lost any more than you can do anything to cause yourself to be saved. It's the power of God that saved you. It's the power of God that keeps you. But listen, we do bear the responsibility of keeping ourselves in the love of God. Dr. Charles Stanley used to say, one indwelling, many fillings. And he gives us an order, be ye filled. That insinuates that's our responsibility to humble ourselves Open ourselves and pray, God, fill me today. Fill me in this moment. Fill me in this hour. Open the eyes of my heart. Open my hands to service, Lord, that I may love you and be filled. As for unbelievers, there is a real danger of taking yourself out of God's protection altogether. If you continue to say no, whether you're here today or you're watching online and you've got a head knowledge, you know all about Jesus, yeah, you believe that Jesus is real, you believe that Jesus really came to the earth, but there's never been a moment in your life where you got on your face and said, God, I am a sinner. Lord, I confess you are my Savior. You are the one who bled and died on the cross, one who knew no sins, to take the sins of the world. Lord, come into my life, forgive me and save me. If there's never been a moment where you've done that, do it right now. Don't wait to the end of the message. Don't wait to the end of Sunday. Don't listen to Satan's lie. Don't let it happen. You see, there'll be a point if you do continue to say no, that there'll be no desire and at that point, God removes any and every opportunity. The Bible's very real about that. You say, I just believe God's, all, God's always going to do this. God's a loving God. God's also a just and holy God. And the Bible says that for those who reject Him, that they're turned over to a reprobate mind. Literally, in the original language, that means a mind who will never, ever comprehend God. And so God... Walks away from, has God ever, have we ever seen that? Yeah, we saw it with a rich fool. We see it with a rich young ruler where they rejected God and God removed 
his convicting power on their life. Now I want you to notice something in this scripture today. It's raining pretty good. Might as well just stay here a while and enjoy it. First, I want to share with you some keys to staying in the Lord's presence. I want to give you some practical tools. I've been working on some stuff at the house and building some things for my car. And it's so aggravating when you don't have the exact right tools. Yesterday, I was having to cut out this metal stuff on the inside of the car. And I didn't have the exact tools. And so I had to make do. And I want to tell you something. Making do is not fun. We got it done, but it took about 10 times as long, if not longer, made me hotter and, and nastier than it would have done if I'd had the right tools. I want to give you the right tools when you open your toolbox, when you say, listen, I've got this going on in my life. I'm having this deal with my kids. I'm having this deal on the job. I'm having this problem in my marriage. I want to give you some tools for staying in the Lord's presence. First of all, Guard your heart. Doesn't mean have a hard heart and build up a wall like that. Even that house in Haiti had those high walls you couldn't see out. It had a gate. There's a gate for safety. Guard your heart. He said in verse 3, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering, Abel brought an offering, we know that. But it said in verse 5, God did not respect Cain and his offering. You see, he, and, and it was not because of, we, have, we see no sign. Everybody says, well, why did he reject Cain's? We've often been taught that it's because Abel's was a blood sacrifice and Cain was the produce and things of the ground. But that can't be absolute fact. We don't know that. And we really have reason to believe it's not the case because, listen, was there not a wave offering where there were many bloodless sacrifices in the Old Testament? The blood sacrifice, for one thing, that's for sin. Uh, and for the sin of the nation, it was for the covering and then the blood of Christ for the cleansing. And so there were many forms of offering. It was a matter of his heart. It was a heart issue. I'm going to tell you, when you look and you see behaviors in people's lives, whether it's a, a, a habitual issue, whether it's a language issue, whether it's a rebellion issue, whatever it is, we can blame and make excuses all we want. Bottom line, it's a heart issue. You see, allowing destructive things into our heart leads to backsliding. When we start allowing stuff in, because you've heard it before, right? Trash in is trash out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know what people say, oh, I didn't mean that. Yeah, you did. In some form, deep down, you really did. It, maybe not in the, the fullness of it, but really, that was the intent of your heart when you said it. We need to understand every word matters. We've got to stop with the destructive things of backsliding. And it was a matter of faith. His heart was not in tune with God. We must be faith-filled. When Cain brought his offering, he should have been where he was sold out 
in complete faith, filled with the presence of God. But he wasn't. We must safeguard our heart if we wish to remain in the presence of the Lord. That's faith following. That everywhere we go, we say, God, go with me. God, go before me. You know, I've mentioned this before. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, it reminds me uh, of how much I need to stay in tune with God. So, King David is in battle. Before he goes to battle, he gets on his face before God and he prays, God, what do I need to do? The enemy's out there. We're here. Tell me what I need to do and how I need to do it. So often in our lives, we say, well, I know how to do this. We, we don't want to hear anything. We don't want to talk to anybody. We just do it. We don't consult God until it's a mess. Then we say, oh, God, save me. You know, like Peter did. We speak and we act before we pray. But David prayed and God says, yes, the victory is yours. You go and let me go before you. And there will be a great victory. And so God prepared the way. He sent David and David had a great victory. Well, his enemy didn't have enough. So his enemy recuperates. They reinvigorate and they come for a counterattack. So they're set up again. And David... And this is where we go wrong. Sometimes we pray, we come to church on Sunday. Man, we're ready to fight hell with a water pistol. We are filled. We are, I mean, just jam up excited about the Lord. God's given us a great victory. And then about Tuesday afternoon or Thursday morning or Friday night, right when we think we got it all together, Satan hits us right in the face. He's still standing there. And we think, man, we've had a great victory. God's given me the victory. I'll just go at it again. David, when he saw the enemy, he did what we too often don't. He stopped and he prayed again. He did not base the future on past experience. He said, God, they're out there again. What do I need to do? And this time was different, wasn't it? This time God didn't say, yes, go right now and do just like you did before. He said, no, wait. Wait, not yet. Soon, but not yet. I tell you what, David, wait until you see, and in the King James it says, the goings in the tops of the mulberry trees. Literally God's spirit blowing through the leaves in the tops of those trees. And so David had to literally wait until he saw the Spirit of God go before him. Church, we must guard our heart to be faith-filled and faith-following. Don't go until God says go. Don't speak until God says speak. Don't do until God says do. And when he does, do it his way. Second tool, do not let sin dominate your life. He said in verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? God just applied logic to this situation because Cain was trying to apply his logic. When you start trying to apply worldly logic to an illogical God, God said in Isaiah 55, his ways are not our ways, right? 
And I don't know about you, but a lot of times what God's told me didn't make good sense. But in the economy of God, it made perfect sense. Because God sees what you don't see. God knows what you don't know. And so he tells him with great logic, he brought it to where Cain could understand it. He said, hey, if you do right, won't right come to you? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin life at the door. Romans 12, 21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I read somewhere this past week, someone had put it, and I've heard it so many times in so many different ways, but the gist of it is there's never a right way to do the wrong thing. Let me repeat that. There's never a right way nor a right time to do the wrong thing. If God, who is righteous, has ordered us to be ye righteous, be ye holy even as I am holy, then he expects us to do right and to be right. And things will go right. You see, the Holy Spirit is the key once again. With the Holy Spirit in control, we can defeat the enemy who is ready to ambush, ambush us. We go from doing wrong, and, it's, and there's two things. It's not just the sin of doing wrong, it's the sin of not doing right. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Has God told you to help somebody and you didn't help them? Has God told you to speak a timely word and you didn't speak? Because you say, oh, that's for a preacher to do. That's for a deacon to do. That's for someone else to do. Is there a calling on your life right now? I don't care how old you are and you're outside the will of God knowing God has a call on your life and you have yet to surrender to it. You've used every excuse in the book and it's been decades or it's just been a day or two. God's got a call on your life. And you've not told him no in your head, but in your heart you have. Because you've made excuse. You see, it's not just the sin of doing wrong, it's the sin of not doing right. It's the difference, listen, I want to put it where you can understand it, especially you young people. It's the difference in your parent asking you a question and the parent didn't ask it in such a direct way that you were able to answer them in a way of you answered the question with truth, but you were not honest. You didn't tell them the rest of the story. You, they say, did you go to your friend so-and-so's house? Yes, ma'am, I sure did. But you don't say, but I went here before and I went there after. You see, we look at God and we say, oh God, I love you and I gave my tithe and I even went to church in a pandemic. Yes, but what about before and what about after and what about during? Are you where God wants you? Don't let sin dominate your life. Third tool, get this. What do you think one of the biggest tools in the toolbox that could have kept from this first murder happening? We look at what's going on in the world a five-year-old shot for riding on the grass. Really? 
unarmed men beaten in the streets of peaceful protests. Dozens, if not hundreds, shot in a week in large cities in America. Family crime. Some of the most horrific things we've ever seen and one that I think about in recent years is a father standing on his porch when they interview him. Oh, we're looking for my wife and my kids. Knowing he had killed them both, killed them all, and dumped his children in an oil well. A woman who gets on and cries in South Carolina and says, I want my babies back. Who drove them into the lake herself. A mother who killed her children. A dad who killed his wife and children. The first suspect in every spousal murder is the spouse. And over 90% of the time, that's who does it. So I can't believe it. Well, believe it, it started in Genesis chapter 4. And it's been happening ever since. Are we so surprised? But you know what can get rid of it? Exercising brotherly love. He said, am I my brother's keeper? What an obnoxious, arrogant, mean, hateful thing to say. I can remember the first time I heard this saying, my, and they're all going to be with the Lord so I can honestly say it now. And Mama's watching it and she knows the truth. My favorite aunt, my favorite aunt one time and I, I don't even under, remember the context, but the first time I ever heard this saying, he's not heavy, he's my brother. Y'all ever heard that old song? You, you remember that? Well, it, the whole picture is no matter what weight my brother or sister carries, it's not too heavy for me to come alongside and help them. Why? Because we love one another. I am my brother's keeper. I have two blood brothers. But in the Spirit of God, I have many brothers and sisters. And we're responsible for one another. What an absolute crying shame that church members who are born blood-bought by Jesus Christ have animosity with one another. You see, it's not just that we are our brother's keeper. It's that I will do nothing to cause my brother to stumble. 1 John chapter 4 says it as boldly as it comes. He said in chapter 4 verse 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another. Yeah, but they're not very lovable. Usually the people who say that had looked in the mirror lately. I'm going to tell you something. Everybody in this room and everybody watching and everyone else on this world, there are times in their life where they're not very lovable. But I want you to know Jesus hung on the cross for the most unlovable. Paul was Saul who hated Christians to the very fiber, very fiber and core of his being. David, David, in lust, committed an affair and had her husband killed. But Saul just was pure, unadulterated 
hatred for his own Jewish brother. But later in life, the first verse of Romans 10, that great Romans road we know, you know, whoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what the first verse says? My heart's desire is that Israel would be saved. The same ones that he was willing to kill. He said, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Listen to verse 8. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. If we're going to remain in the presence of God, then we've got to guard our heart. We must not let sin dominate us. We must be all about loving one another. And then we've got to learn how to say, forgive me. I was wrong. To say I'm sorry. You know, in that model prayer, what many have called the Lord's Prayer, we know it's not the Lord's Prayer because of this phrase, forgive us. Forgive us. Too many of us in our pride and arrogance will not say, I'm sorry. We must learn to say, listen, he rejected it. In the face of every opportunity, standing before a holy God, Cain would not say, I messed up. I messed up bad. Why? He was envious. He was envious of his brother. Some of us will go to our grave mad at someone else because we're envious of what we think. And usually it's just a smoke show. It really doesn't exist. But we're mad because we think somebody got more than we do. If you want to see a family come completely apart from together and just drop a grenade right in the middle of it, watch them when the estate is being split up. Am I right? My wife gave amen because she's worked in law all her adult life. She said, you won't believe what's going on right here. And, and how they have filed caveats and they filed protests and they filed everything and anything because they think somebody got more China than they did. Envious. And then just Sheer unrepentant. Just brash. I ain't saying, you know, cross your arms and say, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. I don't care. I don't care if it makes the whole world mad. I don't care. I ain't saying I'm sorry. I'm not doing it. Well, just rot. Just because you are already rotten inside and it's just going to start rotting to the outside. There's somewhere you've got to overcome your own ego. And get on your face. And there may be somebody in this room or somebody you need to get on the phone and call and say, I am sorry. And before, you need to confess it before God. That's how you stay in the Lord's presence. Get rid of it. Get rid of that anger. Get rid of that hatred. And just love. Then the consequences of leaving the presence of God. There's consequences Physics tells us that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? I'm not a math genius. I'm not even a math, I, you know, smarter than a fifth grader. I'm not smarter than a kindergartner when it comes to math. I literally, 
And, and here's what's wild. I had such a desire, I wanted to help. Emily takes this online accounting course. And Becky's standing there, and, Be and I'm like, Becky will fix all this. I mean, she can fix all this. And, we're, and she's scratching her head. We call Philip, and I've got a picture. Philip's got his hands on his head. He's like, we call Leanne Lane, who taught accounting in university. And she's like, and we're all looking at it. And I'm just trying to figure out in law. I said, I can think logically. No, not in this accounting junk. There was nothing I could do to help. Nothing. But what I do know, I do know two plus two is four. Now, see, this is how simple I am. I literally just did the math equation in my head to make sure I was right. 10 times 10 is 100. I had to learn enough math to be able to pour concrete and to figure out measurements. I can do fractions all day. But the one I know better than anything because I've lived this equation, listen to me. The wages of sin is death. There's a consequence. You think you may have outrun it? God hadn't forget. You see, the consequences for, think about this. Even believers can devastate their lives by leaving God's will. You remember righteous Lot? He called him righteous Lot in the New Testament. But when he backslid into Sodom, it said that his righteous soul was vexed day by day. He brought on him these consequences. It cost him his wife, cost him his married daughters, cost him the morals of his unmarried daughters. And for all time, because of it, there were two tribes, two groups of people who were known for their infidelity and their unwavering sin. All because Lot left the presence of God. What can a person expect when they leave the presence of God? Number one, no satisfaction. No wonder Mick Jagger said, I can't find, get no satisfaction. And he tried and he tried and he tried and he's 70 something years old, still jumping around on stage. He still ain't going to find no satisfaction in the world. From wife to wife, from venue to venue, in our lives, from job to job, church to church, hobby to hobby, no matter what we try to find our satisfaction in, we'll never find it outside the presence of the Lord. At one time, Cain took great pride and pleasure in his farm work. It said it in verse 2 and 3, he was, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain tilled the ground. And he was very proud of this. And he brought an offering of the fruit. However, because the earth soaked up Cain's innocent blood, the Bible tells us in verses 11 and 12 that the ground would now be cursed to him. He said very clearly, he said, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You'll get by, but it will, you'll never have a bumper crop because you've brought a curse on yourself through this. You might say that the punishment fit the crime. You see, sin robs a person of true satisfaction. You look in people's lives and you can see the wages of sin on their face. When a believer is out of fellowship with his church, his Lord, 
His life will be a struggle no matter what happens. People turn to destructive things. They look for satisfaction in drugs and alcohol and pornography and friendships and vacation and money and all kinds of things. You will never, ever, ever find rest and satisfaction outside the presence of the Lord. And that leads to a loss of peace. He said, you'll become a fugitive and a vagabond. Where, what, where did he go? To a place called Nod. You know what the word Nod means? Wandering. Just, it was just an empty, desolate wasteland that he wandered around in. No longer would Cain have the benefit of living among his people and enjoying a quiet and peaceful life. He'd be forced to wander all his days. And so he settled for that which was less than what God wanted for him. Are you settling today? Are you just settling for what may have been? You say, oh, okay, sirrah, sirrah. I'll do what I want. Now what happened? But then, not only do we see the loss of peace, but we will feel hidden from God. It said in verse 14, Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. There's times in all of our lives where we felt like we could not see God. And the truth is, many times we couldn't because we had built a barrier of, of sin. Cain cried about his situation. But isn't that exactly what he really wanted? He wanted to be away from God. He wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to hide and commit sin out of the watchful eye of his parents and God. Listen, you think you're hiding something from your parents? You may be. But ultimately, you, they usually find out. Amen? There's been times as an adult that I almost felt compelled. I said, well... I'll just tell y'all, when y'all were away or y'all did it, I did this. I said, Daddy I knew that. How do you know that? I just did. And there's things, not necessarily bad things, but my kids would say something. I said, oh, yeah, I knew about that. And, this is, and proved that I knew it. And they said, how do you know this stuff? God has a special line to parents, doesn't he? Huh? Y'all never experienced Yeah. A praying mom and daddy, God shows them things. But here, listen to me, young people. You may hide it from mama, and you may pull the wool over your daddy's eyes. Listen to me, you'll never, ever hide your sin from God. Remember when God said, Adam, where are you? I was hiding because I was naked. He revealed. It was just like interviewing a criminal. You get them talking long enough, the same stuff over and over, the lie will come out. And he revealed himself. He said, well, I, I was naked. He said, how'd you know you was naked? On and on. We see so many times God reveals sin in people's lives. 
I want you to understand something. Be careful what you want. You may get it. You want to be away from parents? You want to be away from church? I don't want to go to church. I mean, listen, I had a drug problem. I had a drug problem when I was young. My parents drugged me to Sunday school, drugged me to training union, drugged me to prayer meeting, drugged me to every wedding and funeral and family reunion. If it was at the church, we went because that was the thing you did. And I thought, if I can ever get away from this. And now I am one. You see, Paul warned us about this very thing when he wrote, in Romans 1, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their own foolish thinking and let them do things that should not be done. Sounds like the world, doesn't it? See, a person hides in sins hoping God does not take notice. There comes a point when God gives that person what he asked for, to be left alone. God leaves them alone and does not convict or draw them anymore. Rendering that individual virtually hidden from God. You don't know why America's in such bad shape. We've not wanted God in our schools. We've not wanted God in our politics. We've not wanted God in our police cars and our ambulances and our hospitals. And we wanted science to rule over Scripture. Science is real as long as it aligns with the Word. Amen? Darwin did not discover how things happened. God created. In the beginning, God. And there is no room for halfway. No theistic evolution. God didn't turn it loose. And let it, but I will tell you, God, if you look at the results, America's wanted God out, and God said, okay. We walked outside the presence of God, and then you become marked by sin. You've heard of the Scarlet A. You've read the book, seen the movie, Scarlet A, the girl that's caught in sin and she had to wear the big Scarlet A. Well, guess what? Cain would live the rest of his life with a bloody M. It tells us in verse 15, he was marked, and the Lord said, Whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain. Yes, he, wanted, he didn't want to die. Oh, he was willing to kill his brother, but he didn't want to die. And God says, you'll wish you had died. For everywhere they went, they would say, don't touch him. That's the man who killed his own brother. Listen, God punished Cain himself. And put a mark on him to prevent anyone else from adding to his punishment. You'll never be able to punish someone. You'll never be able to hold a grudge or do anything that can equal what God can do to someone. Turn them over to God and love them. Forgive them. And pray that God draws them. Sin has a way of marking its victims, doesn't it? But I want you to understand the sin of negativity and anger, prejudice and pride will mark you just as much as cigarettes and alcohol. Some people are just mean in a way. We try to put on cream and we try to find something as sold on TV to make all our age go away. But the truth is, we have curled our and furrowed our brow. We've looked down our nose at people. 
We've gotten mad and yelled and screamed and cussed and pinch a fit and showed ourselves in anger. And now people say, don't stay around them very long. Look at them. Look like they're 68 and they ain't but 42. Just mean. That old woman's mean down there. Don't get close to her yard. They're marked by sin. But real quickly, I want you to see three lessons from Cain. First of all, priority. Priority. One, we are to please God. It said in verse 5, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. He did respect Abel's. Why? Because Cain did not obey. Obedience pleases God. Repentance pleases God. When we fail to obey, brotherly love pleases God. We are to choose right over wrong. Opportunities to sin are always near to us. There's always going to be an opportunity to do wrong. Let us do right. We must learn to master ourselves by keeping ourselves centered in the Spirit. Paul said, the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. So walk after the Spirit. Pray. And I want you to get this. Doing the right thing is usually difficult and sometimes it may seem completely unfulfilling at the moment. But so is a diet. The day you start your diet is the easiest day to quit it. Because you don't see it. I need to lose 18 pounds. Well, you're not going to lose 18 pounds that day. It's like being down 23 at the start of the fourth quarter. How, you ain't going to get 23 on one layup. You got to get them two at a time. You start taking chances and risking it, you're never going to get close. You're never going to catch up. You got to do it. Baseball. You're down seven going into the sixth, seventh inning. You're not going to get them all back with one swing of the bat. Just get on base. Move to second. Move to third. In our lives, listen to me. We must do right every step of the way, even if it don't look like it's going to be greatly fruitful. Y'all get this? And then sin's pain is always greater then it's pleasure. Sin's pain is always greater than its pleasure. You know, it must have felt good for Cain to take out his anger. He picked up, and I mean, it feels good now. When somebody's made you mad, well, I told them. And the minute you turn, there's this wave of emptiness that settles over you because it's not God's economy to do that, to render evil for evil. Remember, do good and bless those that curse you and despitefully use you. Pray for them. That's Scripture. That's Jesus. Any fleeting pleasure that Cain had received from taking out his anger on his brother was far outweighed by the pain of his punishment. Now, I want you to remember something. His mom and daddy were still living. We don't really have any record that he ever saw them anymore. 
As God pushed them outside. I'm going to tell you, you've become alienated from family. You've chosen to rest in your arrogant unforgiveness and that hatred and envy that's caused a separation from God and your family. It's time to get it right today. And so as they come to the instruments, I want you to hear with me in conclusion, Cain was given a clear set of instruction of how to live his life. Guess what? You've got the whole New Testament. You've got the Old Testament. You've got what Jesus has done. If you accept Jesus and follow His commandments, you will be accepted in the beloved. So I want to ask you, will you follow Cain down the road to regret and ruin? Or will you place your faith in Jesus Christ right now? It's your choice. There's not a third option. It's either the way of destruction outside the presence of God or kneeling before Him, confessing Him as Lord and Savior. You're lost and without hope. You will not come into God, listen to me, you will not come into God's presence by accident. You won't stumble into it. Christians, listen to me. Take some precautions to keep yourself from the place of God's blessings, from leaving it. Guard your heart. Get rid of sin dominating your life. Love one another. And learn to say, I'm sorry. Remembering there is no satisfaction. There's peace. There'll be no peace. Being outside the presence of God and there is no labor in the grave. You better get it done while you have a chance. As we stand, the altars are open. Our first and foremost priority is to please God. Will you not come into His presence today? Come. Eyes wide open. Hearts filled. Call on Jesus right now. Come. Come to Jesus. Come to Him.